Hi everyone, this is Charlie with the Smoky Acres podcast. Today I have a very special episode for you where I interview Kyle. It's a little longer than usual, but I'm just hoping you can get to know him a little bit better. Before we jump into that though, I wanted to preface this episode to talk about everything that's been going on in our home state of Minnesota. We had a terrible tragedy and things have gotten pretty chaotic this past week. Frankly, I am overwhelmed with emotion by the events, so I don't have that many words, and I'm going to keep this short. I am so incredibly proud of my friends and family who are using their voices and taking action. I can only hope that we push forward and make some real change, where every single person is able to live their life in peace and without fear. I'm also hoping that this podcast can maybe give you a little bit of a mental break. The media and being active can take a toll, so I hope that you can just take this next hour to decompress. That way we can restart with a refreshed mental state and together we can make a real difference. Just know that my thoughts are with everyone and I know that we are all stronger together. Thank you as always for listening and I really hope you enjoy. Welcome. You are listening to Smoky Acres Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie, and today I'm accompanied by Mr. Kyle James. Hello. (laughs) How's your day been going so far? Pretty good. Uh, Worked on a few projects around the house. Right now, I am working on refurbishing a double-bit axe. Um, We found it on my dad's property, and it was all rusty, and it was... Uh, in the dirt and I'm just trying to get all that ground out and get it polished up and brand new and yeah I saw it It looks like brand new and it has a new handle and everything yep it kind of looked like something that you would see thrown away because it's like so rusted and there's like chips out of it and everything and then just to put a little bit of work basically like a couple days worth of work but to put that little bit of work in and you've made it look brand new Right. Now it's usable again. And it's enjoyable to, to do that kind of thing for me because it's, it's really satisfying what you can, the final product you can get out of something that, that doesn't look like it's going to be much. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty exhausted today. Yeah, me too. I was working on clearing up all that garbage out of our woods and it's like I would pick up a couple things and underneath it would be more things and then I'd find plastic sheeting and pull that up and there'd be a bunch of broken glass underneath it and just like layers of carpet with dirt over top oh my gosh that carpet I started pulling on the carpet and it just was never ending (laughs) it was a never ending thing of carpet we ran into the same thing over at the goat pens Mm -hmm. um we dug for hours on the same (laughs) roll of carpet (laughs) and it was it was never ending well, here's the bright side. At least that carpet is not in our house anymore. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we just bring in a big dump truck of dirt and pour it over top. Yeah. Pretend it's not all there. <laughs> well, and you know, like, I thought I had gotten it all cleared up and all done, and then I walk around that one corner because I see, like, an old paint can, mm-hmm. which my mom was like, you should be careful, it's probably lead paint. <laughs> <laughs> but found old paint cans that were like half full of old up dried paint 
and then I look around this like little brush pile and just piles of more garbage. It's never ending. It really is. I, I don't know what the reasoning of people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They put everything out there. They threw everything in the, in the woods. I well, and then like, I kind of get it like if you have old car parts because a lot of people would like store their cars. You're not storing your cars inside, yeah. obviously. And then and it's a little hard to move. It's hard to move. Or, like, even, like, the old bed frame that we, or, like, the mattress frame, mm -hmm. or the old stove, like, those bigger pieces, throw, I see people throw those things in their yard all the time. I don't get it, but that's a little more common. But the amount of glass and plastic and metal and all this stuff that's out there, it's insane. It was older garbage. Yeah. And, and we, we find baseballs and tennis balls and golf balls and all sorts of stuff so i assume that there were kids here at some point mm -hmm. playing in amongst all that glass in the woods like well, wh what were like they thinking in the main part of their yard too mm -hmm. or what i imagine the main part of their yard would be yeah so were they just like having to navigate around the world's largest garbage <laughs> pile in their yard yeah they were not barefoot kids i hope <laughs> well and i imagine too though like then sanitation systems weren't as, like, established. Yeah. So they maybe didn't have a garbage truck coming every week, and maybe the dump was too far away to haul all that garbage. Yeah. Or maybe it was just, you know, not something they wanted to pay for. Right. That's true. What are you drinking over there? Uh, Summit Saga. It is one of my staples, one of my favorite beers. It's like a good price too compared to a lot of right now. Beer. Yeah. Right Maybe now. we'll do a a Mount Royal bottle shop ad here. Uh, <laughs> right now they've got Summit Saga twelve packs for twelve ninety nine. That's a steal. So I stocked up. <laughs> That's our ad for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying this Sierra Nevada wild little thing. It's their sour ale. It's pretty good. Not one of my favorite sours, but it's still a good sour. Yeah. I don't know. I have a hard time liking anything more than the Wilderness Tuxedos. Those are really good. Yeah, they're not going to pay you for that ad. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just my honest opinion. It's really good, but yeah. it's like the Wilderness Tuxedos are just like next level. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Kyle, I know most of this stuff about you, <laughs> but for everyone else that doesn't, get to know you a little bit better um so you're a tattoo artist i am <laughs> and how long have you been tattooing for um well up until a couple months ago uh <laughs> four, four a little over four years does that include your apprenticeship no my apprenticeship was i think 14 or 15 months before i started tattooing okay so you've been in the like industry for like five years and actively tattooing for just over four then correct okay and what would you say like what do you like best about being a tattoo artist um instant gratification i yeah. like that i can come up with the design in a short amount of time put it on someone's skin and tattoo it within a couple hours and i get to see the finished product right away and it looks as good as it's ever going to look that, that first day or even the second day. So it's, I don't know, it's very satisfying to me. Versus like doing a painting or something that takes a long time? or like... Yes, that bothers me a little. 
<laughs> I I don't have uh, a great amount of patience, um, so I have I have a hard time with things like oil painting and stuff like that. I I just I kind of like to rush through things if I can, and that's that specifically is why I started doing traditional joinery and woodworking, um, so that I can slow myself down and have to take my time and and grow my patience a little bit i would say though like even though you have the instant gratification of tattooing that you necessarily rush through it no it's no, just a right. quicker process yes um when i when i do other forms of art i i do them quickly um i i don't slow down i just kind of paint fast and get it done and um you know if it if it needs more refining after that i'll come back to it but you know if i'm gonna paint for an hour i'm gonna do a lot in an hour so what is it about tattooing then like you've tattooed for a whole entire day before Mm -hmm. why do you have the patience to do that i have no idea maybe it's maybe it's also the monetary benefit of it you know that that adds a little bit, obviously. There's a little incentive there. A little bit. <laughs> um, so what would you say is something that bothers you about tattooing? Um, some of the trends. Uh, some of the tattoo trends kind of bother me, but I don't want to talk crap about any specific tattoo trend um, because it's... It's not something I would want any of my clients to hear in case they want a specific tattoo like that. I don't ever want to talk poorly about something like that. So, I will respectfully decline to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. And I mean, there's probably like, although you might have a tattoo that you don't like to do, and it fits a certain category of what people might get, Mm -hmm. there's probably some things that you have that people think that about too mm-hmm. it's all about personal taste i suppose so what got you into doing american traditional tattooing and what do you like about doing american traditional versus other styles um so why i got into traditional tattooing um both kyle grover and josh crowdy uh, were pretty heavily influenced uh by traditional tattoo artists and their work shows a lot of influence from traditional tattoos so you know naturally I was intrigued by it I like the way traditional tattoos are structured Um, there are rules and there are some rules you can expand on and some rules that you have to stick to but it's very structured and the the very creative part of it is simplifying what your what your subject matter is um, that gets to be a little tricky because there are some parts that you have to leave in and some parts that you want to take out and you have to find, you have to strike a balance. Um, so that can get tricky. I think just learning from you as your apprentice and traditional tattooing is what I want to do as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest or the most difficult part of it is how simple it is. Mm-hmm. And people mistake that simplicity for easiness yeah. because it is bold lines and bold colors. 
people mistake that for just being like basically like oh you just stamp it on the skin yeah but it's actually it goes against a lot of like shading is different than how you would shade when you're doing like something more realistic yeah and you kind of have to learn all those things and you have to learn how to take an image of like a bird and make it simpler just so you have like the important aspects of that bird yeah and you have to make it translate as that kind of bird or you know that kind of fish or whatever you're doing and and one of the things about traditional tattooing is that there is no room for error and that's what I like about it you know it it keeps me honest and it keeps me challenged yeah I think that's really cool and I think that's one thing too about why I want to do it is because I like to add lots of detail into whatever I'm drawing. So it's just like an extra challenge to try to simplify. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun so far. Yeah. What do you think it, what's a challenge of being a mentor to your fiance? Everything. It, it is all <laughs> challenging. It is it, finding a balance between mentor and fiance is is tricky and I think you know for the both of us it's been a little weird at times but we figured it out and we've been figuring it out since last September so I think it's going pretty good so far I think so too but I'm the apprentice here so (laughs) I don't know anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) and being just being a mentor in general it's your first time being in a mentor a mentor to an apprentice yeah that must carry challenges and maybe some exciting things in itself. Definitely, um, most mostly challenges because I, I have never thought of myself as a teacher, and it, it's very tricky trying to think of new things to teach you and in exciting ways that are that are going to be exciting for you. And the only way I've found that works well for the both of us is if I do things with you. You know, if I'm painting with you or if I'm drawing with you. That is when I've learned the most. Yeah. And that's when I learn the most about teaching too. Is it, It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a learning experience for the both of us. Well, I'm happy to be your guinea pig then. <laughs> I'm glad you're the one doing it. So. <laughs> but besides tattooing, I said this in the very first episode I don't know if you'll, you listen to it, right? Yeah. But in the very first episode about in Hannah's podcast, the Hippie Hour podcast, how she was talking about what is your passion versus mm-hmm. what is your job or what do you do? Because although you are passionate about tattooing, you really like tattooing, it's not really like your only passion. You have a mm-hmm. lot of passions that I think make up who you are mm-hmm. more so. And so I kind of want to talk about those a little bit. So first off, I think, I think of you, I think of woodworking a little bit and kind of touched on like the traditional joinery and everything. Mm -hmm. What led you into woodworking? Because when I met you, you weren't woodworking. No. The, The very first thing I made were these racks for the back of my truck so that I, uh, they were basically, it was basically like a trunk that I could store things in the back of my uh, Nissan Xterra and then from then I got a new truck with a bed and I made uh, like a camping 
outfit in the back of that truck. That was pretty cool. That was cool. And Except for the fact that you couldn't lay straight in it because you were too tall. Yes. It, yeah, it was a five foot eight bed, and I'm a little under six foot, so I had to lay diagonally to to stretch Just out at all. One minor issue. Yeah. Um, but it was fun and it, it was really enjoyable and, and from there my interest only increased. Um, so I just kept going and kept trying new things and, um, I, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in any sort of woodworking, but I will always try new things. So even though I'm focusing on traditional joinery, um, that doesn't mean I know anything about it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you're learning. Yes. And I'm just, you know, I'm just learning and I'm just trying things and a lot of them fail. Uh, one of the projects I was working on today failed because um, I don't have drill press. I drilled right through the side of what I was making. So that was fun. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that's part of it. And that helps with my patience as well. Um, because I just take a look at it and I'm like, well, there's nothing I would have done different. Right. You know, it just didn't work out. Well, I mean, do you remember one of the first things we ever made together is what our headboard is right now? Yeah, it's which, horrible. It is not good. We just, <laughs> we, we made it in the yard of our duplex, which is, wasn't even a yard. And we bought a box of like barn wood, yeah. which is like, <laughs> which we would never ever this do. Insanely expensive barn wood, air quotes. It's like pallet wood that's made to look different colors. Yeah, basically. it's just stained like, different colors. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's like $25 a box. We need like three boxes for it. And then we like just positioned them offset from each <laughs> other and like drilled them into a couple boards. Yeah. And. Unfortunately, you haven't gotten to a new headboard, so that's still our headboard. It's been on our to-do list for a little while. A long time. But to be fair... To be fair... <laughs> we have done so many other things around here that I think we can cut ourselves a little slack. Just a little. So, what interests you about doing traditional joinery? Or just traditional woodworking? It's just challenging. You know, um... I think I like to make small things with traditional joinery, things I can move around and work on a little bit here and there, um, and especially like really small things that I can finish in an afternoon, because I do kind of still like that um, instant gratification here and mm -hmm. there. Um, while I am working on bigger things, I, I need that every once in a while to just finish a quick project. I've also kind of noticed a trend in a lot of things that you do that you, although you use power tools, you like to do things that go back to really early traditions. And I think that's what intrigues you about blacksmithing and forging. Yeah. And also intrigues you about doing traditional woodworking. Yeah. Uh, I like to use hand tools and the older, the better. Um, I've been refurbishing a handful of different hand tools um, one of them I got from, uh, Nathan. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Tresengast, I believe, but... It's just a jumble of letters. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a long one. Um, but he, he gave me this, uh, oh, what is it called? It's a draw knife. Um, and so I just refurbished the draw knife and I actually just used it to 
seat the axe today. So I needed it to, to carve down the, the end of the handle a little bit to fit it on. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I like to use a lot of things from antique stores and just refurbish them a little bit. Uh, sand down the wood and re-oil them and um, get the get the blades a new edge and uh, take off the rust and make them good as new. In fact, I think that's a trend just in our lives in general. I mean, our coffee grinder, we got an antique store. Mm-hmm. We get things from the materials recovery center and repurpose those. We just yeah. like, instead of going to a store and like Target and like buying a dresser or buying a thing to hang something on or whatever, mm-hmm. it's fun to like go somewhere and have to find what you're looking for and it might not be perfect and then you make it into what you want and just like it's so much more rewarding it's very rewarding and it's fun yeah we have fun doing it it's fun to you know every every new tool i find in an antique store is a new opportunity to learn about that tool and to learn about refurbishing a new tool there's there's people out there who have done it before and it's all on YouTube, and it's very helpful. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a new opportunity to learn more things and pack more information into my tiny mind. <laughs> well, and YouTube, honestly, is one of the most <clears throat> helpful tools. It is. I mean, just last night when we were looking at wanting to know more things we can forge in the forage, not to be confused with forge, <laughs> um, for in the spring, we just, like, went on YouTube and we... And the internet and found so many more things that are probably growing on our land that we can harvest and make more things out of and utilize. Mm -hmm. And yeah, YouTube's a helpful thing. We'll save more information on all that for another episode, correct? Yeah, but the spring foraging is actually going to come out before this. Oh, that's before this. Okay, well then you already know everything. Not everything, though, because I hardly know anything. You know everything we know. (laughs) (laughs) That is one thing about doing this podcast, and I think we've both talked about it, but not being experts in things and not even having enough life experience in general. Like, I haven't been alive enough to be an expert in anything. Yeah. So. Same here. Doing a podcast just about the things that we like or things that we try I want to be able to talk about them, but it is kind of intimidating because I know that people know more than me. Mm-hmm. And they're probably, I know you share the same feelings when I ask you about woodworking stuff on this podcast or about a project. Like we both worry about saying the wrong thing or like putting false information out there or just someone knows more than we do. Yeah. But I mean, if we do say things wrong, let us know. We want to know. Right. <laughs> we would like to know if we sound like idiots. That that would be a good thing to know. But maybe phrase it nicer than that. Yeah. <laughs> Please. We're, we're sensitive. So with this podcast, although you're not going to be like the main one doing it all the time, I'm sure you'll be on here more with me, but what are you excited about it? Is there anything that like excites you about this podcast that you are looking forward to or you hope comes from it um well i like i'm I'm hoping that some of our friends are listening to it and that they can kind of get updates on our life regularly because i'm really bad at updating people on our life 
Right. And I think that'll be a that'll be a good a good perk to this. Otherwise, to the podcast, I'm just excited to see where it goes. And I'm not taking any sort of lead on this. This is all this is your baby. <laughs> and I just I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm having fun with it so far. Good. You seem like you are. It is very like nerve wracking and intimidating. It's a little out of my comfort zone. But hey, that's our 2020 thing is yes. getting out of our comfort zone. Getting out of our comfort zone. And then forging has been your like newest addition to the millions of hobbies that you have. <laughs> and what first got you interested in it? And then how did you convince me that it was something that I wanted to do? <laughs> um, so uh, what first got me interested is just trying to be self-sustainable um there are a lot of little things around the house that i've noticed that i i think are very simple um little coat hooks here and there little handles here and there um towel racks things like that very very simple things and we have to go to the store and buy it and there's all this plastic packaging and all this crap and it's it's not never going to last us our whole life anyway. Um, so we're going to have to keep buying it and keep buying it. So with forging, you make it one time, it'll last you your entire life. Um, and if you want a new thing, you can take that old thing that you made and repurpose it. Or you can find a piece of rebar out in the woods, which we've found plenty of, and make it into whatever you want. And it's... It's just, it's right up there with woodworking as far as usefulness. And I, I could not go back to, to not doing it all. I, I don't, I don't know anything about blacksmithing at all. <laughs> but I am trying and we're both learning together and we're watching videos and trying new things and getting more equipment as we make a little bit of money at it. And I think that's that's all we can do. It's definitely been a learning process. Mm -hmm. It's very challenging. It's it is fun. not an easy thing to do. No, I think if, if it was an easy thing to do, I think everyone would be doing it because it's so satisfying. Um, and then you asked, how did you convince me? How that did I convince you? I mean, when you started getting into it, I was not totally on board with you, like <laughs> buying equipment because it's not cheap. Right. And somehow you like roped me into it. Well, I think the way I did it is I I just had you try it. You you tried it once and I think you were hooked. You were so excited. It was so fun to watch you just hammering away on this little knife that you made out of railroad spike. You were just so excited. Every time we came back inside, you're like, "When are we going to go forge again? When are we going to can we go forge today?" <laughs> <laughs> like it was great, you know? Yeah, and then it was, all of a sudden I, I'm, like, in the basement by myself grinding while you're, like, yeah. working on... Forging did the work for me. I didn't have to convince you at all. It was just kind of funny. I didn't really picture myself doing it. Yeah. But. All right, so we're going to take a little break, and we will zoom in a little bit. All right, well, we had ourselves a nice little break. A couple days, huh? <laughs> yep, just a couple. 
our short little break where we went to go eat dinner real quick and come back and record ended up being a couple days because it got late and then, I don't know, we're just busy people. Mm-hmm. So here we are a couple days later and our guest room gets really warm in the evening now. So we have the window open. I don't know if anyone can hear these frogs out there, but all right, so let's get back into it. Um, what I wanted to talk about with you next was just kind of our home and this little hobby farm that we put together. So when let's talk about when we first came and saw this house. Okay. And what were your first impressions? Uh, I wasn't all that impressed. <laughs> and mainly because it was winter. <laughs> There's a couple feet of snow. And it was a white house, and it had a really poor paint job on the outside. Desperately needed a coat of paint. Yeah, and we had no idea what the land looked like. Um, I mean, the snow was up to my hips, Yeah. so at least, I don't know, how long are my legs? I don't know. A few feet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the inside looked nice, but it just, it didn't seem like that much of a diamond in the rough when we first looked at it. Right. Well, and if you remember it too, we walked in and the little mudroom entryway area was carpeted with that gross green yes. high traffic kind of carpet. Uh-huh. And it was just this bare room with a pegboard on the wall. And right? It brings very, you back. Very it fancy you coat rack. Right, very fancy coat rack. And then you turn and there's like this cheap linoleum. Mm-hmm. And the kind of, they redid the kitchen at some point, which yeah. is obvious, but they redid it in a way that they, how you would furnish an apartment home with like yep. the cheap cabinetry and a really cheap fridge. Like we open the fridge and there's no shelves on the door anymore, mm-hmm. so you can't even utilize that. And it was not supposed to be a yellow fridge, but yeah. it was yellow. Yep. <laughs> so I think those being your first impressions walking into the house, it's not that sellable. Yeah. And, you know, there were a few things I really liked. I liked the, the woodwork in the house. and um, That's what sold me when we turned into that dining room and living room and we saw the built-ins yeah. and the woodwork and that was hardwood floors. And the, the dresser in the bedroom. Right. That is so cool. Built-in dresser, and those drawers are, what, like four feet They're deep? They're like four feet deep. <laughs> They're ridiculous. They're like four feet square, and at least you fit a me foot in one deep, of them. you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How many times has our cat been in there, and we had looking them. all over for the dang thing? Mm-hmm. The, the balcony was a, another selling point for me, because I knew I would love that during the summer. So, as springtime came... And the snow started to melt, and you remember that we saw all of a sudden there's this huge rock in our yard, yes. and we had tiger lilies and peonies, and all sorts of things start to bloom. Mm-hmm. What kind of feelings were you having as things started to turn green around here? Oh, just pure excitement, you know. It was just, um, I I wasn't expecting it to be that good, you know. I I thought we'd have you know a decent little yard, and uh, we knew that there were lilac trees there and um, an apple tree, but that was about it. And just, you know, from there, seeing the rest of the property, it was just a gold mine. And we now have a road 
that we can take the the truck or the four-wheeler with the trailer all the way to about three quarters through the property and i think it's funny that you call it a road because it's a road it's just a path that you made wide enough for a vehicle to drive through but it's not like paved or have gravel or even it's like still has growing things on it so it's not even like a fully dirt road charlie it's a dirt road just just <laughs> let me let me have it okay I'm just going to call it your driving path to the back of the property. Dirt road is shorter than driving path. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite projects that we've done around the house this far? Well, not only in our house, like renovation stuff, but on our property. Like Ooh. top five. That's what That's I'm a tough for. one. I think, you know my favorite thing that we've done is just like clearing out brush and being able to see through the woods and in the morning we can see deer walking through our field and same with in the evening and there was no way we could have seen that when we first moved in mm-hmm. unless the deer were literally in our yard right um you know the the thing that bothers me is a lot of people have these nice parcels of property and they only use the front acre you know and you know I didn't want to do that I want to use every bit of land as much as possible and so the first thing I wanted to do was to cut some trails uh, open up the area a little bit so we can see through the woods cut out some of the brush and just make the area easier for wildlife to travel through and easier for us to travel through and just our our trails our trails are just, I mean, we, we walk those trails several times a day together. And it's just, there's there's nothing better than that to me. Yeah, those are some of the best moments, just being able to do a quick loop on one yeah. of our trails. and. Yeah, and when, you know, when either of us need a break from work, we just say to the other, you want to take a quick walk? And we do a couple loops or, and uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to have that and not have to take your dogs on the road on a leash you know it's just... yeah just let, to let jasper run yeah that's one of the hugest things i think about having this property especially he's not interested in the road at all yeah so he just like he loves a wooded area and he loves to run yeah and all the sticks are sticks are plenty mm-hmm. and I think that's just the best part is that he has all this space, which you joke, but I know you're serious that you bought this house for Jasper. He was my original driving force to buy property. He's the the reason I bought 10 acres before, and he's the re- like one of the first reasons, may not be the only reason, obviously, but he's one of the main reasons that I bought this place too, because he, he deserves it. He needs, he needs some space to run on. People who don't know you super well probably don't even realize the kind of relationship that you have with <laughs> Jasper. But it, I don't think it's really like your typical dog ownership. Because I don't even think that you would say that like you are the owner of Jasper. No. You would probably refer to it as like co-living or like yeah. parenting. or we're, like... Just, we're just best friends who live together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I supply his food and 
water him and throw him sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so now, what are some of your favorite projects that we've done as far as like the house itself? The house, I think, definitely the mud room right away was my favorite thing we've done. That one yeah. of the biggest. That was you know, our first like major project. Here. It was a major project, and then after that, I'd say the deck. Mm-hmm. The deck was just a, a real game changer. Because the first, the initial covered deck on the front of the house was just falling off. And it was really unsafe. And I mean, they didn't have a concrete footing for the beam. And the beam was rotting. Mm-hmm. And it was off by, what, like an inch or two? Two inches. It was, oh man, it was two inches off. <laughs> like, that's not just settling. That's no. like not done accurately. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't far enough in the ground. It wasn't below the frost line. It was just... A whole whole number of things that that they did poorly and I was able to do it right as far as I know <laughs> and I had to get a contractor for the to put the beam up just for safety reasons but the rest of it was nice and simple well and that kind of goes back to like when we first were looking at the house our initial thing walking in was like there's no selling point on your first impression so mm-hmm. to have this new deck that you can go off on either side into the yard, mm-hmm. it's not closed off, it's nice and open, it matches the house better. We have a new fresh coat of paint on the house mm-hmm. too, so it's more eye-catching. And then you walk in that front door and now there's tile instead yeah. of that carpet mm-hmm. and we painted it. You put in a beautiful bench that you made, yeah. a beautiful coat rack area, and I think that is just when you walk in it's way more inviting and it's way easier to clean because you don't have carpet (laughs) with muddy dogs yes yeah and how many different neighbors have come up to us that we've never met before and they're like wow this is the nicest this house has looked in 50 years (laughs) that's that's good to hear especially from people who have been here that long you know and almost all of them have are there any other projects in here that we have done so far that have been exciting for you or have made a big difference for you or you want to talk about? Um, I mean, all of them have made such a big difference. The, uh, the dining room ceiling. Oh, right. That's one that we did That's, during this quarantine. That was a big one. Those like, are they tin tiles? Is that what you call them? They're, they're antique tiles. i believe they are steel okay um but they could be copper i know that antique it's hard to tell i i don't know for sure but um nowadays they make them out of plastic and and they're just not as good well they're so expensive they're extremely expensive like they're almost the same price as this like actual like steel or copper it's like two cents of material and you get you pay forty dollars for this one this two foot by four foot and they're just like these i'm just gonna call them tin tiles because it's mm-hmm. easier for me but these antique tin tiles that we have up there just fit the aesthetic of an older home a lot mm-hmm. better they're gonna last a lot longer and it really did change the whole dynamic of our lower level and yes. then painting our living room too and mm-hmm. yeah it just has really made it more comfortable more inviting 
and I'm really excited and also nervous to tackle that kitchen because once yeah. we do that, it's going to be like a totally new home, but that's definitely the big, like biggest project, most expensive project, yes. and just like, it, there's so many aspects to tackle there. And it's, it's hard to remodel a kitchen or a bathroom while you're living in the home. Right, because you can't use a sink. <laughs> or, right, There's yeah. a lot of logistic things that you have to think about beforehand and plan ahead for. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, we lived in a camper at one point out of a cooler and like yeah. only had a cooler, so I think we could probably make it work yes. not having a kitchen for a week or two. It would have to be during the summer, though. Right, when we can cook outside. We can cook outside, yeah. Maybe we can cook outside in the winter, too. It's just, like, not as fun. (laughs) (laughs) Not nearly as fun. (laughs) Um, what are... So, looking into the future, what are things that you are hoping to do with the outdoor spaces or indoor spaces? What are projects that you are on your to-do list that you're really looking forward to or ideas that you've had? Um... Well, there's a lot of a lot of little things that I want to do, but um, mainly I just want to keep working on trails and stuff, uh, getting ready for uh, this hunting season. Um, I want to try to have everything like everything done by then, so I'm not spending a ton of time in the woods leading up to hunting season. Um, and then indoors. Uh, I want to do kind of like a accent wall in our bedroom uh, with barn wood. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. And then just finish up the bathroom. Um, otherwise, obviously the kitchen, but that's that's more of a long-term kind of thing. Yeah. That takes quite a bit of money. So. Yeah, I think the bathroom is probably next... Mm-hmm. As far as bigger projects, getting yeah. new tile in there. Yeah. And we've been we've been chipping away at the bathroom. Right. You just the tile and the new vanity have to go in at like the same time. Yes. And that has been like the hold up. Yep. Yep. Because so. I don't want to do tile myself again because that sucked. That was really <laughs> awful. Tile's not my thing. Nope. So I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, we have a list of a hundred other things that are our thing, so yeah. I think it's okay <laughs> if tiling is not our thing. Yes. All right, so I feel like it wouldn't be appropriate to have an interview with you without talking about animals more. Okay. And we already touched on Jasper a little bit because he's your best bud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you've always had this kind of special connection with animals that I really can't relate to because I didn't grow up with animals. Yeah. Like, I didn't own anything, but, like, you grew up with animals, and what kind of animals did you grow up with? Growing up, um, we always, you know, as kids, we always had our own dog and our own cat. And when you say our own, you mean each kid in your family? Each kid, yes. And you have two siblings. Yep, so there's three of us. And we always had, you know, we'd always have dogs who would have litters of uh, puppies. And we'd get to name one and basically raise it until until we got rid of them. And so we we cycled... When you say got rid of them, you mean like sell them to a different family? Yes. Or, okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So we, we always 
had lots of animals. Um, when I got into like, uh, like upper elementary school, like probably fourth and fifth grade, I started getting into like chickens and I almost like a collection. Like as yeah. a kid, I had a keychain collection where like my family members would go on vacation and bring back a keychain and I'd like hang it on a pegboard. Yeah. You had a bird collection. I did. I didn't have um, people going on vacation bringing me back birds, but... That'd be a little weird. That, <laughs> but I had, you know, I had uh, quail and... What kind of quail? Uh, let's see, I had bobwhite quail, I had scaled quail, California quail. My quail were... Quail are temperamental and... None of them lived all that long. So I had a hard time taking care of them. They're not as hardy as chickens in a northern environment. And how old were you? Um, Probably fifth grade. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like it'd be difficult to really understand an animal's needs if they're more of like an exotic kind of animal, like a quail. And we didn't have internet um, until I graduated from high school at my parents' house. So... You know, there wasn't a way to find out these things unless you knew about a specific book. Right. So even going to the library, you had to know, like, the title or you could just browse books and read a ton of books, but you had to know the exact information that you were looking for. So um, it was hard to, to take care of those things without all the information that we have access to now. And besides quail, what other kind of birds did you have? Um, I briefly had a grouse, um, but I let like him a, go. Like a wild It one? was a wild one that got into my chicken coop, and I I grabbed him and brought him inside and <laughs> gave him a little bath. <laughs> you gave him a little bath? <laughs> yeah. And then I, I had a duck, Why did you too. think the grouse needed a bath? He was all dirty from running around the bottom of the chicken coop. Oh, okay. Um, and then I had a duck. My duck was, my duck was great, uh... I can't... What did I name him? I think I named him Daffy. Like after Daffy Duck? Yep. What kind of duck? He was a khaki Campbell. Um, They're related to mallards. So it basically looked like a mallard. They're just a little bit bigger and they can't fly very well. Like more of a waddler? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Heavy bottom duck? He was pretty cool. Um, What else did I have? Uh... I had some some pretty odd kinds of chickens. Um, when I had, you say odd, what do you mean? Like, kind of like weird breeds. So I had Polish chickens. They're the ones that have like the afros. Oh yeah, those They're are so cute. I would chickens. love to have those. We could get some of those. And you had silkies, which I really want. Silkies. Silkies Bailey are was very just sending cool. me pictures of her silkies, and yeah. oh, I would love some. And then I had. A couple of frizzle chickens and frizzles was my original best pal she was this little tiny bantam and she would just ride around on my shoulder as i did chores every day and she was she was a little sweetheart that's had her for a long time yeah. that reminds me a lot of nash yeah 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 i see a lot of myself in in nash when he's just Dealing to specify, with... Nash is my younger cousin, yeah. for those who don't know. But... Yep, when he's dealing with his animals and stuff. Yeah. 
I mean, I had just as big, if not bigger, of an animal collection as he does. So. Mm-hmm. so besides birds, your family also had horses for a while? Yeah, we had horses um, until I was in like middle school. And they were a lot of fun to be able to ride around. We spent our weekends riding and and walking them around and stuff like that. And we had a little corral that we could do laps around. Um, we had a couple of ponies, little, uh, um, one of them was a miniature pony. And then we just had like a quarter horse kind of pony, I think she was. Um, Coco, she was a sweetheart too. You could throw a three-year-old on her and she'd just walk around the around the corral real slow see that is so cool to me i have one picture of myself as like a toddler on a horse yeah but i don't know i don't actually have any memories of me riding a horse i don't know if i've ridden a horse like Mm -hmm. actually i think maybe i was just put on the horse for the picture (laughs) yeah but that's something like you grew up kind of riding horses and i don't even know if i've ever ridden a horse before yeah we got to get you on a horse. So, horses, dogs, your family's always had lots of cats. Yes, there's always cats around. They're kind of just like barn cats, but they have a they have a pretty good life for barn cats. And then we we had goats, um, we had sheep for a while. Oh, I didn't know your family had sheep. Yes, my brother and sister had to share one sheep, and I had I got a little black sheep. I named him Blackie. I was very creative at that point in my life. <laughs> he was he was this crazy little sheep. He would just like run around the pen, like get the zoomies like a dog does. Oh, really? Yeah. He was funny. And at what point did you get Stella? We got Stella. I was in high school. Um, I Stella think... is a goat. Yes. <laughs> a fainting goat. A fainting goat. Um, I think I got Stella when I was either a sophomore or a junior. Okay. And did you pay for her? I think so. Um. Because you kind of always have referred to her as your goat, so I yeah. didn't know if that was something that you bought. Well, or... I, I remember asking my parents if we, if I could buy her, but I don't know if I paid for her or not. She was like 50 bucks, so, <laughs> you know, it's not like a, like a crazy expensive thing, but the the idea was that we would get her and tie her up in different areas of the woods and she would clear them because they'll eat the stinging nettles mm-hmm. and all of that yeah but we didn't know that fainting goats they won't eat everything like a pygmy goat will or like bigger goats will mm. so that didn't work out that well she just well, i mean she also faints if you yes. pull her on a leash too hard <laughs> yeah yeah she was just a just a fun pet you know she thought she was a dog and goats actually prefer to be in pairs or more Mm -hmm. and so because she was by herself and raised around a bunch of springer spaniels she ended up being more like a dog than a goat yeah she was she had a lot of the same mannerisms as springer spaniels do so springers will come up to you and they'll like set their head on your thigh um so that you can, yeah. So that you can scratch their ears. She would do the same thing. She'd wag her tail when she was happy. She would, like, She'd come fetch. running. You have that one video where you like threw a stick for yes. her and she ran after it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yep, she's a uh, she was fun. Good goat. Yeah, she was a great goat. I think that has kind of led to just this relationship that you've had with animals even mm-hmm. in later into your life. I know you said like later in high school or in college you kind of steered away from a lot of the things that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. But with, even with wild animals that have a certain comfortability around you yeah. than they do with most people. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. You're constantly being approached or approaching animals that maybe you shouldn't, but yeah, that like you also have like birds that will land on you, and you're able to like I don't know. You just have you're like Snow White. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but animals just love you. You had that owl that like flew up to you in your deer stand, mm-hmm. and you've you've seen animals that I've never seen before and you're just like sitting around and you'll like see baby raccoons or you found that whole nest of kangaroo mice and like all these crazy things that I have never even witnessed before. Well, I mean, part of that is just you spend a lot of time in the woods, you're going to see more more wildlife. The longer you spend in the woods, the more you're going to see. And a lot of the, a lot of the, coolest experiences I've had with wild animals are when I'm sitting in a deer stand and I've I've sat in deer stands for hundreds of hours in a year and seen hundreds of animals and only a handful of deer and it's it's never dissatisfying sometimes that's the best part yeah I mean I I'm always more excited yeah um so last year I was sitting in my stand and and there were three little they must have been like siblings little baby raccoons that were a little bit bigger and they were all just playing underneath my deer stand. You know, that's that's something a lot of people won't get to experience too. Mm-hmm. I was lucky to to live on 10 acres and be able to just you know, utilize that land however I wanted, even as a little kid. You know, in those times, your parents would just say, you know, be home for dinner or get your chores done before bed and you're good, you know. Right. And we would just go do whatever we wanted. We built forts in the woods. And you dug holes. We dug <laughs> giant holes that we could stand in and <laughs> our heads wouldn't be above the ground. For what reason? Because it's fun. <laughs> who, who doesn't, as a kid, want to build tunnels, you know? Yeah. It's fun. You also talk about all the things that you used to eat in the woods, mm-hmm. and I'm so surprised you weren't, like, poisoned or got sick ever from just, like, eating random berries and leaves and flowers and all sorts of stuff yeah. out in your woods. Apparently, you have good instincts. Apparently, yeah. I used to eat a lot of poison sumac, though, and I'm told you're not supposed to do that. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> like, those berry, they're, they're very sour little, like, fuzzy berries. And I used to eat those all the time, and I'm fine, so. <laughs> I oh used my to, gosh. <laughs> yeah, we'd eat, um, like, the little three-leaf clovers that are, they're, like, really sour. They taste like sweet tarts. And... I thought you told me ants are the sweet tarts okay. of the woods. Ants are the sweet tarts of the woods. The, the, the clovers are just 
They're just sour. They're not sweet. Ants are sweet and sour. That's kind of disturbing. So, if you're ever in a survival situation, there's a lot of ants, you can can live on ants for a while. And they taste good. (laughs) Just, Just bite down really fast. Well, on that note, I think we should probably wrap it up. It's getting pretty long here. Do you have any final questions, thoughts, concerns? Not a thing. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today and letting me ask you tons of questions. Thank you for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.